Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy. But you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great. Filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, We as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash goddessgray. Now, on to the episode. Hi. Hey. How's it going? <laughs> good. How are you, love? I'm good. <laughs> uh, thank you for everyone joining us. We've got... Oh, thanks for all the bang compliments, by the way. <laughs> they look fantastic. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. They're new. Um... Thank you so much for joining me, and I'm so excited to speak to you. So everybody knows how this process went down. Um, I did initially reach out to the God is Great community in hopes that you guys would reach out to John Chris for a conversation, and that caused some friction. Some people were pissed off that I asked for that. Other people were like, yeah, take him to task. He needs to be held accountable. So I received both of those things, um, and it was such a blessing to watch Melissa's video. I hope a lot of you watched it as well. And um, so just as she said in her Instagram live, uh, from when was that, yesterday or the day before? Oh, God, it feels like a week, um, but I think okay, was, yeah. <laughs> I think it was the day before. Maybe. Yeah, so timelines aside, you know, I just wanted to be honest about that. And then um, I – reached out to Melissa, which is really sensitive and complicated. And I I share some traumas that a lot of us have where Me Too movement happened and there was a realization among a lot of women I know, myself included, a reckoning where we were like, oh, some of these experiences we had were not what we thought they were. We weren't recognizing them for the abuse that they were. So uh, off the bat, I want to express that this is Melissa's story. She's sharing it. Um, I'm not personally accusing anyone of anything, although I am standing next to Melissa hearing her story, and I do believe what she said. Um, You know, so that said, I'm going to just proceed in that way. And um, what else do we want to say about at the top? Do you have anything before we dive in? Um, I mean, for me, from my perspective, what I hope to share with you, and um, thank you for sharing your platform with me. I appreciate that. But what I hope my to pleasure. is um, there may be some of my story woven through this, but I also hope to share um, how I went about healing and what that process has looked like, because um, that that's the gift that I want to give to you is is um, showing you what healing can look like. So that's my intention today. Yeah, absolutely. So our focus isn't going to be on the salacious details of what happened. And, you know, I will have all the resources. I'll also put out a video on Monday, you know, describing a little bit more about it. But that is not this conversation. So, um Melissa and I have already spoken a couple of times to make sure everything is like vetted and we're on the same page. But sh- Melissa, you have my permission to always be like, next question. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> so this is meant to be a very safe space for you and for, you know, anyone else that makes sure I'm being sensitive to how emotional and difficult this is. Yeah. Um, so, okay. I think, I don't know. I think it'd be interesting to realize 
uh, or to talk about when you had a realization that maybe sexual experiences and abuse was more nuanced and complicated that you originally realized because you grew up um, as a pastor's kid in a whole pastoral family um, in purity culture and modesty culture, correct? Yes, correct. Okay, so a lot of what I want to talk about to begin with is when do you start recognizing <laughs> that you were taught things that might have facilitated or made you more vulnerable to something like this happening? And, you know, was there a light bulb moment where you're like, oh my gosh, this was different than I thought? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, to, it took me a lot of, a lot of therapy um, to get to the point where I could recognize that the things that happened weren't okay and weren't my fault. Um, the first time I remember someone tell me, telling me, like, I was explaining the situation. I was actually explaining the situation that we are discussing today to mm -hmm. someone, and they they were like, that's abusive. That was an abusive situation. You shouldn't have had to experience it. And it was the last person that you would have expected to tell me that, one of his supporters, um, someone in his circle. And... Uh, it was the first time that, and then they explained to me, here's why. And they, they didn't have all the nuances of it, but it was the first time that I was like, oh, there were things that I was feeling and I didn't know how to articulate or express, but they weren't okay. And that was, that was the first time with that. I've experienced uh, other, I've experienced sexual abuse in my life and, um, and some other things too. And it's, it's just taken a process of healing enough to be able to see that and not putting it on myself. Yeah, I've told you as well that, um, and Oprah says this too, we were kind of all raised in this generation because you and I are the same age where a sexual assault was between yourself and a stranger in a dark alley somewhere and abuse was getting punched or hit in the face. Like for me, I was in a three-year emotionally abusive uh, situation and for me, I didn't recognize it until one of my best girlfriends, Emily, was like, you should just Google emotional abuse checklist yes. and see how you feel. And that was stunning because there were like over 40 points on the list and I crossed off every single one. Yes. And so even just realizing for the next generation, for the women that we get to speak life into, um, teaching a new generation and helping older women, women our age, recognize when these things are happening yes. and, um, you know, and help, just helping us off the bat. So one of my main questions from the get-go is how do you believe purity culture or do you believe purity culture and modesty culture made you more susceptible to a situation like this? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, I, and I think, and I want to start off by saying too I think that in every culture there are things that women are taught and it may be different things but there are things that they are taught that um, make them susceptible to this because it happens in every culture around the world so what my experience um, was one of the biggest things was lack of autonomy of my own body I didn't have ownership of my own body um, yeah. whether it was you know my parents were responsible for that and um, or the you know, just kind of the way I was raised, and I think a lot of people were raised this way, that um, you didn't get to say no if you didn't want to hug someone or if someone, you know, wanted to touch you in some ways. An adult, you had to say yes, especially if it was someone that you knew. Um, and then yeah. also there was this sense of, like, God owns my body. Um, and so whatever God wants done with it, and when you mix that with this whole idea of the man is over the woman and all of these kind of things, it... Um, it leads to abusive situations. You don't always know that you get to say no, um, especially when you feel like someone is in power over you. So I think that was it. Also, there's this whole, um, this the purity culture in the sense of like keeping someone very uh, unaware of the world around them and like pure of heart and all of these things. And then when you actually start to see the things that are happening in the world, you, um, your mind starts opening to wisdom, you start experiencing things. There's this, we talked about this a little bit, but there's this direct movement to like a Jezebel type thing. So <laughs> yeah. go from either being the, you know, the pure of heart um, woman or, or girl to being a Jezebel. 
And yeah. the other thing in between that is being married. Otherwise, you're screwed. So. Yeah, I mean, I talk like ad nauseum about purity culture and the ramifications of it, how difficult it is to claw your way out of these things. And um, I think one of the biggest fallacies I received, I'd be curious to hear if you feel the same, was the fact that your worth was so wrapped around your, quote, virginity, saving yourself, um, versus just having an inherent valuable body that deserves to be respected regardless of what sexual activity you participated in. Um, I've said it before. I'll keep saying it until she retracts the statement. Lisa Bevere did this uh, book called You Are Worth the Wait. It's a little ebook on her thing. And one of the main things is like you lose your dignity, value, and strength when you have sexual experiences. So you know, do you feel that played into it for you as well? Yeah. So, um, it's, it's funny that that's what she named her book because the, um, the church organization I was a part of had a, a program called worth the wait where they had these blue ribbons for your Bible and you signed them and whatever. And I just found mine a couple of months ago and that was really, <laughs> well, the, the thing was I, um, and I've written about this before, so I don't mean to drop a bomb, but I, I was sexually abused as a child, didn't talk about it, didn't tell anyone. But when you are carrying that with you and you already believe that it's your fault because that's what you were told. And yeah. then there's this whole movement to like, you have to stay pure or like, you know, you're, you're giving your, your partner, your spouse, you know, some used up thing. I mean, that, that just inflicts more trauma. So yeah, that was, that was definitely my experience. And that definitely informed things too. Um, I, yeah, I was a virgin until I got married. So that did yeah, we're, we're both divorces, <laughs> <laughs> a pair of divorcee Jezebels right here coming at you. Um, you know, if I can say one more thing about that, I, th yeah. I think something that I'm even learning now that would have been useful is the discussion that, um, and not in a spiritual sense, in a very physical, present sense, that sex is um, for communion and connection. And I think learning those things instead of this, like, I don't know, very skewed idea of what sex was, um, would have helped me shape like a really good sexual ethic, or at least a little bit better of one than the one that I had. Because uh, that's something that I'm just learning how to believe now yeah i've i've said that before too it's like if it's no 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 wear a white dress say yes you're not equipped with all of the myriad of gray zones at all yeah um okay so another thing that i'm really curious about is you initially came out was was the me too movement the first time that you and the other women stepped forward is that what compelled the whole situation to begin with um yeah i mean i think there was a lot happening during that time um and i was also in in therapy during that time so i was processing a lot of stuff so i uh this is a couple of years ago i actually wrote about it that was the first time i think that anyone had shared or published anything about it um and so yeah, and I, I actually had several women come to me. There were several women I already knew, but the, I had other women come to me and share their experiences and stuff. Um, and then, oh, probably about a year ago, longer than that, like a year and a half ago, the um, journalist from uh, Charisma. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> One of those Christian men. Yeah. Taylor. Um, he reached out to me and he reached out to several other women um, and asked about it. And I had a call with them and I told him my story. And I think it was nine months later and he sent me an email and was like, oh, this story's coming out. And I was like, oh, I thought you already killed it. I didn't even think that it was happening. You know? Oh, wow. Um, wow. So, yeah. And so that's when. That's when gotcha. There were whispers for a long time. Yeah. Um, I just want to let you know, everyone in the comment section is talking about your own abuse and the way you're manipulated and how the church has hurt you. We see you. I hear you. Thank you for being here. Um, how do you see or do you see any difference between the way men in church and out of church are treated when there's sexual allegations that come out about them? Yeah. 
Uh, this is a great question. And I think that for a long time, there wasn't a big difference. I think that in a secular world, we're starting to see some changes there. Um, there's still a really long way to go. Yeah. But what I have experienced and what I see in the, um, the Christian world, the evangelical world, is, is um, this sense of like, well, we've got to do what we can to restore these men. And there's, there's no emphasis, no work on helping women heal uh, from these things. And we were having the conversation, too, earlier about how um, I was saying, you know, if someone embezzled from your church, mm-hmm. you may, they may ask for forgiveness. They may have changed their ways. You may embrace them back into the fold, but you're probably not going to allow them to handle the finances of the church again. So my question is, when things like this happen, um, great restoration and redemption. I'm for it, especially if it's for real. And especially if that person articulates what they did and they know what they did wrong, they apologize for that and they try to make it right. You know, mm-hmm. um, great. Let's bring them back. It's important to be in community in order to heal, in order to find redemption. And also, I don't think you need to hand the keys back over to a place um, that might be tempting for them to do the same thing again and again mm-hmm. and again. So. Define an apology. What is an apology? Sure. So, and this is something I've, um, you know, when you've experienced trauma and abuse, um, you also will hurt other people until you do the work of healing. And maybe you don't do it to the degree that we've experienced it. But there are things that you will say and that you will do that will wound other people out of your brokenness. And so I've had the experience of um, having to apologize. and, and wanting to when I recognized what I had done wrong. And when I did that, the way that I apologized was not just saying, I'm sorry for what I did and for what I hurt you, but articulating how I knew what I did was wrong and not okay. And also what I was doing to move forward into the future to ensure that I wouldn't have that same behavior and I wouldn't wound someone else or that same person. And also offering it with the expectation that there were no expectations. If that person wanted to respond and accept that apology, I would be honored by that. But there was no pressure on them to remain in relationship with me as well. Mm-hmm. So that's my very long definition of an apology. This uh, might be difficult. I hope it's not re-triggering for other people that have experienced this as well. But again, because of the former ignorance that a lot of us had and ignorance isn't a bad word that's just having a lack of education on something and so many of us in america in general have a piss poor sex education and then if you're in church you're kept even more so away from that or you're getting it from pornography or something Mm -hmm. so all of that said you know we have a lack of education on what are different signifiers of abuse? What are different styles, for lack of a better word, of abusive behavior that we can recognize and that we can experience? So if you feel comfortable, could you tell me some of those things that you had experienced? Sure. Um, specifically in that situation, you know, there's a lot of buzzwords for the behavior now, like gaslighting, isolation, um, grooming to begin with. Um, you don't really mm-hmm. know what's happening, but they're preparing you to like make their move. Um, you know, victimization, making um, you feel like everyone is against them and you have to be on their side, you have to protect them. And that's something specifically in that situation that happened to me and so many women that have experienced the same thing with him have been in my inbox and said, that's how he made me feel. Like I mm-hmm. had to protect him from the world. And it's also this sense of... Um, not uh, not sharing you with the world either. Um, like you're hidden, you're like a secret. And that's a thing too. I think healthy relationships happen in community. So there are a lot of buzzwords, but what I would say is um, when you are in a relationship and your world just closes down until they are the only person in your world. And I don't mean like when you're first getting to know someone and you're spending all your time with them, but I mean when you're in relationship with them and they're your whole world and they've kind of pushed everyone else out of your world. They've isolated you from your relationships, told you those things aren't good for you, um, that those people aren't really your friends, that they're the only one who loves you, all of those things. That's a, that's a good designator that there's something wrong there. And that can happen on a lot of different levels. 
I would also say something that I've been learning in the past year is to listen to your body. Um, if you mm-hmm. feel like your body is like tense in some way, you feel tightness, you're having like some stomach problems, you're getting migraines, you're just all of those sorts of things. Listen to your body and you may not know exactly what the issue is, but if you start there and you know, okay, something is wrong, something's going on in my body, then that's going to enable you to do the research you need to do to figure out how to articulate it or ask a friend, ask for help, things like that too. So this is such a huge topic and I'm so glad you brought it up because um, I had really only heard about the concept of embodiment from Jamie Lee Finch. Mm -hmm. And um, so the complications with Christianity for anyone that's not familiar or if you haven't recognized it is that we are separating from our bodies so many times because when you're not allowed to enjoy any sort of sexual pleasure and you're thought policing, so if your body has sexual responses to positive things, that you're suppressing that and you're not listening to your body, you know, it's the same thing sort of um, with having an eating disorder, which is something Mm -hmm. that I experienced where if you turn off all of those cues long enough and just determine that your life is about this self-control instead of tuning into what I see as a gift from God, whatever word you ascribe to that, like fine, but this body is the vessel in which we're doing this life. This body is the tool that we've been given. So it's absurd. And it really is to me an inversion of God, what, what God would desire for our lives to say, Oh, you need to shut off your body. These include your heart is deceitful, your intellect isn't something that should be listened to. As soon as you start telling your children, teenagers, whoever, to shut off those pieces of themselves, then they're going to be so much less capable of recognizing when you're in a bad situation, which is so wild too, because we were also taught if you are passing down an alley and all the hair on your arm sticks up, that you're in a dangerous place, but that, but that never translated into church. For me, what I learned in church is this is a man of God and you can trust him. He'll leave the door open a little bit and you can trust him, you know, to not do anything to you. And I know of so many women this has happened to, but you know, I, I just would love to expand more from your perspective and a healing perspective of what embodiment looks like when you've been so disconnected from the cues and signals you're getting, what can you finally recognize as these are the signs my body gives when I'm in a dangerous situation with a person that I cannot trust? Yeah, such a, such a great question and so important to the healing process. Um, I, I wanted to just say one thing too about what we are taught. I think we're taught too as women that um, our bodies are dangerous. You know, they cause men to fall on us. And, yes. Yep. You mm-hmm. know, and, um, and all of these terrible things from the time we're very young. And maybe it's not our parents, maybe, but maybe it's the church that we're a part of and they teach us that. And so we yep. get disconnected in that way too. And we learn very young to hate our body because of that. And because of culture that we grew up in, maybe our body looks different than other people's. Um, probably does. <laughs> there is no example. Yeah. So I, I think that, that those things, you're absolutely right, separate us from our body. And for me, I can only share what it worked for me um, because, you know, about six years ago, I, I really hated myself and I hated my body and I didn't know how to listen to my body. So there were dangerous situations that I ended up in because I had learned to ignore it and reject its signals. So I had to start by committing to loving myself. It didn't seem like a possibility. But I I did. And then I would begin like looking in the mirror and looking down at my body. And I just started by thanking my body for carrying them around, for carrying me around, for for living through the things that I've lived through, for surviving. Um, And over time, with a lot of other work, too, that helped um, me be able to embrace my body. And the more I embraced my body, the more I was able to love my body, the more I was able to hear it. And so the things that I notice now when my nervous system gets activated, when it's triggered because of past trauma or because of a dangerous situation, is um, I, like my heart will start beating fast. Um, I'll feel a little shaky. There's this feeling that mm-hmm. I call untethered, 
where I need to be grounded. And then there are things that I do to help me get back in my body. Um, I have a weighted blanket that helps um, mm. uh, maybe put a beanie on, take a walk or dance, something to really get grounded in my body. Um, and there are a lot of other things like that, but yeah. That's great. Um, wait, I'm going to look at filters for a second because I feel like there's sparkles on my face and I don't know why <laughs> it's on a weird filter. This is inappropriate oh, for great. such a I serious that. conversation. That's perfect. <laughs> that is not what I'm trying to do. That's oh, still sparkles. Serious and joyful too. Uh, whatever. Okay. So we're going with sparkles. Um, <laughs> um, no, I, I think everything you've just said is so beautiful because we have to, and, and God is great. This platform is so huge on that of allowing welcoming people back into embodiment mm -hmm. after all these years of that disconnect. And I will say again and again that it is, if you're a Christian, it is a biblically sound principle to be an embodiment. This isn't a worship of your body, like this like evil self-love thing that conservatives yeah. talk about. It's truly about this is your vessel. You're going to honor it. You honor it by listening to the cues that it's giving you. It's your it's the love of your life. It's, it's something that you need to move through this world and take care of. Um, and it helps you honor your body too. You know, if we want our daughters to be making beautiful sexual choices, they have to be living in this embodiment and dancing too. Like all of these yoga things yes. that are vilified as evil have actually been so helpful to bring me back into my body and therefore into communion with my spirit and what's right. So, um, so what do we have next? I, well, I was just gonna, um, if I could just say one more thing about that too. Yeah, I, of course. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I, I have learned for myself that, uh, when I experienced abuse and trauma, um, it kind of separates your insides from your body, right? You get that your soul gets a little separated from your body. And, um, there's this sense of mistrust that happens with your body. Your body didn't protect you. Your body didn't keep you safe during that experience. So you don't really trust it. So you kind of have to rebuild trust with that. And one of the things that I say um, over and over again, and I said it in the video that I posted the other day, but I just usually like put my hand on my heart and I say, I'm safe in my body. My body is my home. And it's just a reminder to mm. me of that, that it's safe to be present and in my body and be embodied in that way. That's really beautiful. I love that. What's the mantra one more time so people actually pick that up? Sure. It's just, um, I'm safe within my body. My body is my home. Mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. And, okay, so rewinding back to when you're not in the healthy place and you're on that journey, um, how does shame come into play? Yeah. Um, that's a really interesting question uh, because – um, shame isn't one of my main emotions that I feel okay. a lot. Yeah, well, I have other ones that can be just as ugly. So I think that, like, um, for me, letting go of, of shame uh, happened, like, completely happened when um, I started doing internal family systems therapy, IFS it's called. And, and I'm, I won't go into detail about what all that means, but basically all of the different um, – parts of you when when you experience trauma and yourself kind of shatters and all of these parts of you take on roles um there's one of them that's carrying shame and yeah. so learning how to hear that one and be compassionate self-practicing self-compassion um helps to alleviate that and recognizing that that shame isn't a useful tool in in um your healing toolbox the only thing that shame is useful for is to help us um live according to societal norms i i hate when people shame people on the internet i don't think that's the most useful way of inspiring change um mm. i i don't think so at all i think that there are a lot of other ways that we can do that so um so yeah so i think that that recognizing that um is, is what really helped me like yeah I think shame is probably more of Achilles heel to me, but, um, yeah, I think it approaches us all in different ways, definitely. And sexuality within, I, I want to say within evangelicalism, but like you said, it really crosses multiple cultural backgrounds and people of all sexes 
experience these issues. Um, I don't want to focus. This is not to give excuses to or anything. Um, but I am wondering if you have an opinion on what of purity culture excuses men or of patriarchal culture, whatever it is, what is it that welcomes men in the church to, to perpetrate these crimes, not sins, but sometimes they're crimes and sometimes they're, I don't know. What's the word for when it's not like a a legal thing, but yeah, just crime or not. It's abuse. Yeah. So basically what of purity culture, what are, do you think these men are learning or, or believing or talking about amongst each other that keeps excusing this behavior over and over again? Yeah, that's a great question that I'm really still trying to figure out because Mm -hmm. um, I have seen a group of men who are all taught the same things and I have seen ones who have become abusers and then I have seen ones who honored and respected women very highly and treated Mm -hmm. treated them as equals um, and would never have done anything like that. So um, I'm still trying to figure that out. I know there are a lot of things that we talk about, you know, them you know, a man feeling like he is um, entitled to a woman's body, you know, he is um, the overseer, he's, you know, all these, I don't want to go into all the relationships. No, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's this sense of, like, ownership, right? And that women was made from, this is, this is the Christian belief, woman was made from man, she was made for man. That's her purpose in being here. So, of course, like she's mine. God made her for me, you know, and uh, made her from me. So if she is my body, like I can do whatever I want to my body. So I don't think that that's consciously, I mean, maybe sometimes, but I don't think it's consciously the thought that goes on. But I think that that teaching is deep in there. So um, I think that that's a big part of it. And then I, you know, I think that there are men who also are abused. And Mm -hmm. that leads to them being abusers. It doesn't excuse the fact that they abuse, but it it helps us understand why they do. Um, I think that just as women are taught that they don't have autonomy over their own body, men are taught the same thing. Like, I can't help these urges, right? This is just how it is as a man. Men are this way. Like, we can't help ourselves. And then this woman walks by, you know, I'm mowing my lawn and she jogs by in her short shorts and I just run into the side of the house. How many times have you heard a preacher say something like that? They know that they have power over a woman's body. They don't know that they have autonomy over their own body. Um, But one of the things that really helped me the most, and I mentioned this in my post as well, was um, I was dating someone um, recently, and um, they said this thing because it was the first, like, real relationship I had had in years. And um, it was hard for me to open all of these things. And I would express my feelings very strongly about some things. And he said to me, he said, don't be afraid to show your anger. He said, I love your anger. Your anger sounds like a song. He said, some anger sounds cruel. It sounds mean. He said, but your anger, it sounds like, like you're breaking free of something. And that was so beautiful to me, like such a great context around anger that it's not a bad emotion. It's not a negative thing. It's not going to kill me. Like when I let it out, it breaks me free from the things that I'm tethered to. And I think about, you know, we're here because we're talking about the abuse that I experienced with, I don't want to say his name. You can say it. I don't want to say his name. I've been trying not to say his name to respect you. So, <laughs> but, um, and that I, guy, that guy. I needed, I needed that. I needed the anger to break me free from it because, um, my idea of love was so fucked up that I didn't understand that that was abuse, that that wasn't real. And, um, so I needed anger to help me sever that cord. Yeah. I found that, or you put up a beautiful quote. Where did it go? Um, You're a wonderful writer. I was just like reading some of your comments and stuff. So beautiful. But um, now I can't find it, of course. But just your articulation on anger. Everybody go read the post that Melissa put up about anger. It's it's like a poem underneath, and it talks about 
you talk about that tethering and untethering and release that of your like from yourself and um you know that's that's the thing we're talking about like whether or not we say his name what we are talking about from my perspective is how to address when you have been I mean, and, and anyone of any sort of abuse could, I'm sure, relate to this conversation in some way, but specifically in your situation, we're discussing abuse within the church, how typically we cover these things up to save face because we want to have a good reputation beyond diamonds and pearls, like the Bible verse says. So reputation is prioritized over true accountability for these men and then when their accountability comes out it's really usually from what i've seen and i'll just generalize like if you have a church that deals with sexual sin aka abuse also sometimes things that are criminal if your church actually brings the law in as they should if they actually make these men face and come to terms with what they've done and give true apologies, beautiful. Unfortunately, what I've seen in so many situations and what we are talking about now is when you have been abused by a figure that is not only in the Christian circle revered as someone that is admirable, good, and worth listening to, but also a celebrity figure, someone that people care about in that way, someone that people want to continue to ingest their content for entertainment value i'm like you i don't believe in outright cancellations i do believe in redemption absolutely but you and i are talking about what to do and how to process when you are not receiving an apology and when the community of christians has gone ahead and quote, forgiven that abuser on your behalf as if they have any right or as if anyone asked you, like, I don't want to trigger you, but I did read some of the comments on his video and I'm like, who are you forgiving him? He didn't do anything to you. Like, it's not your thing to forgive. I, I, you did not watch the video. I don't know if it's okay that I said that. I just want to... I've already uh, told Melissa, even though she didn't watch the video, that there's no apology in it. There's no coming to terms with what's been done. Another thing I see in church so often is so many vague things. Like I, I vaguely hurt people and I'm suffering sexual sin. I'm suffering. I need healing from this trauma of being so disconnected from God that I did this thing. I'm suffering addiction. I'm suffering And it's like, cool, (laughs) but what you've perpetrated upon another person can be damaging lifelong. And as you said, we constantly within the church prioritize the quote healing of these perpetrators and, and treat the women as though they invited it, how thick were your spaghetti straps, for example. Did you go into his hotel room or not? Did you put yourself in this situation or not? Um, What did you do to invite this? You know, like, these are very typical questions. And they're questions that I saw in his comment section. And I hate to bring that up again, but I think it's worth bringing up to you just to say that's a part of the anger process that I'm sure you have to deal with. And I also just want to ask you, from your survivor perspective, how do you work through this anger and this forgiveness and this trauma when you have to be victim blamed and and you have to see no true repentance from the other person? You know, um, I think that's something I'll be working on for a very long time. I I think that uh, everyone likes to talk about immediate healing and when it comes to something like this, that's just not the case. One of the best gifts I gave to myself was not forcing forgiveness. Everyone's like, oh, you have to forgive in order to heal. And I was like, bullshit. (laughs) I'm just calling it bullshit. Like, especially when someone hasn't apologized, a real apology. Um, 
And so there are, other, there are people who will probably have differing opinion from me, but I did not push forgiveness on myself. And I had no intention of forgiving him. None whatsoever. I just was going to heal myself. That was my intention. Build a beautiful life that was far from his world. So he couldn't touch it in any way. And along the way, as I began to heal, I healed deeper and deeper. And I still was like, people would say like, oh, you really need to forgive him. I've had family members say that. And I was like, no, not happening. And then one day, and I wrote about this in another post that you shared some pieces of, um, I think I saw this man who looked like him. And usually if I see someone that looks like him, it's just like, fuck you. So there's been a little bit of cussing since we've come back on. Apologies to anyone <laughs> that finds that offensive. I'm sorry about that. But there, there's this like immediate, like visceral response, right, of, of anger. And I saw this man who looked like him and I was jogging and like my mouth opened and I just heard, I forgive you, come out. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> What's happening here? And, and it just did. It just came out of me. And it wasn't, I want to be clear, it wasn't this like, beautiful soft i forgive you moment that we like paint in pastels and and put in christian bookstores and say like this is the way it has to be it was this just as visceral as my anger towards him it was this sense of i'm releasing you like i'm releasing the hold that you have over me i'm releasing my attachment to this narrative and the story of what you've done to me and so I forgive you because I want you out. I want all of the things that you have said and done, all of your words that still resonate in my head and that still keep me in this box. I want them gone, so I forgive you. And that's the action I'm taking because I can do that. So I don't need your apology. And even though I'm probably never gonna get it anyway, so I've just come to terms with that. I don't need you to ask for it. I'm giving this to release myself and to free myself. So that's how forgiveness has worked for me. I love it. Thank you so much for saying that because one profound experience I had was coming out of evangelicalism. My husband had cheated on me, which ended up being a beautiful blessing. It's totally fine. Love and forgive this guy who was only like 24 at the time. Like, God bless our little young hearts. But he, um, that happened and there were so many things that I was so afraid to heal because being in the Christian circle, it there are so many cliches. It's like, you might as well hang up a bunch of like, hang in there cat posters. And be like, here, there you go, guys. And you're like, okay, in real life, it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't look no. that way. It's not as romantic and flowery. I would argue actually, it's, it's more truly authentically romantic to have gone through all of these beautiful things that you have as an individual yourself and excavated this toxicity out of yourself and really acknowledged who you are and come back into your body. Like yeah. what beautiful blessings. Um, no one should have to suffer trauma to get to that. That's the point to me of having conversations like this. Yeah. This doesn't happen to future people. So people can recognize it. So it doesn't come to this point. But um, someone gave me a Buddhist book about mourning. And I was told every other religion was demonic and satanic. So I was a little scared to read it, but it just talks about like the beauty of crying basically. And I yeah. was stunned to, to read someone else just say, hey, do you know that you actually have to move emotions through your body? Like if emotion comes up, you're in Buddhist practice, you look at it, you acknowledge it, you experience it. Yes. And, and then you don't wallow in it because you've allowed yourself to fully have that experience and that's what I did and it was it finally released me to cry because the same thing as you like everybody in the Christian church kept saying oh well now you have to forgive you have to do this it was all about what you had to do really what we should be telling everyone especially survivors is this might take you an eternity you might never get there to completion but what you need to do is everything that's right for you for your body yes. for your embodiment for your soul for your health and um just taking care of yourself in the utmost i did find this quote from you you said forgiveness was never the plan which is great also release expectations like if that is weighing on you like a weight in my opinion 
then yep. just release it. Be like, I don't know if I can forgive. And if you're still a Christian or if you, you speak to the divine, you say, I don't know how to do this. I don't want to do this. That's yeah. okay. Honesty is key. You said, I said those words, words and watched as the last frail, still vibrant bit of your thread unhooked from my chest. I forgive you. I am free. The words yeah. you spoke over me and the things you did to me no longer hold me captive. Mm -hmm. We've heard this so many times that unforgiveness is the poison that you drink yourself hoping to hurt the other person. What do you say about that cliche? <laughs> so, okay, so here's the thing. And, the, and I've really been thinking this, like, as you were kind of talking through all of that, because um, when we tell a survivor that they have to forgive their abuser. We're, we're taking, um, we're recentering the conversation back on the abuser's needs and away from the survivor's needs. And you're so right. If we just tell survivors, hey, like do what is right for you, for your highest good. Not like, oh, the right thing for me is to, you know, hurt someone else. But like yeah. do what is right for you and do what is healing for you. As you heal yourself, what is good for you when you're healing yourself will end up being good for everyone else. And that's something that's taken me a long time to learn, that when I do things that heal me and that are good for me, it's actually good for someone else. Um, and, and so forgiveness can flow out that way. But when we force it and we tell people they have to, like, you're, you're invalidating their pain. So. Yeah. And how about when you you know, are you able or were you able to forgive yourself when you weren't doing the healthy thing? Because in pain, we can go to drinking, promiscuous sex, drugs, um, overeating, undereating, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, what would you tell survivors that are in that moment? Well, uh, now I have a lot of self-compassion for that version of me who was there and um sorry say that one more time self-compassion yeah. self-compassion self -compassion. yeah i have a lot of self so yes self-compassion yeah. on repeat yeah. um yeah. but i would tell survivors this um something that my first therapist told me when i was in a really dark place i was uh staying with my parents for a little while and they were gone and i was by myself and i was processing some really painful things and i asked her for an additional therapy session and i got there and i said i drank an entire bottle of wine yesterday i'd never done anything like that i wasn't a big drinker <laughs> i was like but i just like i couldn't it was so painful and she said you know what melissa you are doing what you need to do to take care of yourself right now she said if you start drinking a bottle of wine every day or you know, more regularly, then let's talk about that. Like, that's not a healthy yeah. coping mechanism. But she said, right now, you're doing what you needed to do to take care of yourself. And that gave me the, like, recognition from someone else and the permission to be compassionate towards myself and also to recognize in that moment, maybe I need to find some healthier coping mechanisms. Not that I won't be drinking because I definitely did during that time <laughs> in my life. But, um, you know, because also this doesn't feel great to my body. So have compassion on yourself and know that in those moments when you are doing those things, you're just trying to survive still. And as you continue to heal, you'll get to move from just trying to survive into really living a life that you want to and being able to be intentional. But when you first start dealing with things, well, I can only speak to my experience, but when I first started dealing with things, it was just survive each day. That's it. Yeah. That's the whole goal. Yeah. Um, for any, uh, I hope that if this is too painful, you don't have to answer it, but I wonder if there's any way to articulate to someone that can't relate or someone that minimizes your experience, um, especially when we're talking about, like for me, you know, like, I don't mean to be inappropriate at all, but like, sometimes I would be like, I was raped-ish, like these really sticky, strange situations, whatever. I think it's really easy to minimize if there's not like a criminal activity involved. How would you articulate to someone that is perpetuating these things or doesn't understand the gravity of what this sort of thing does to a person's spirit? or emotions, body, everything. 
Is that okay to answer? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think that I've learned the best way to help someone understand something is to give them a story or a scenario that will make them think about their own experience and how they feel, right? And so they can kind of understand a little better. So um, presenting them with something that helps them understand, okay, when you're really grieving something, when you've experienced a lot of pain um, and someone dismisses that pain or, you know, tells you that it's not valid or questions it, how does it make you feel? And, and like, also, I think that there is some instruction and education that has to happen around how we hold space for people and what it means to hold space for people and how to just listen um, and, and how to say things like, that makes sense. I can understand how you'd feel that way. Like, just validate someone's story. That doesn't, that doesn't mean anything about you. That's not saying anything about you or your belief system or anything. It's just telling that person, I hear you, I'm listening, I care about you. So I think there's some education that has to happen there. Um, as far as from my own experience, when there's been victim blaming is, I don't know if you're asking about that. Yeah, I mean, if you're comfortable, I just, I just really can't I, imagine the limelight dynamic and every, the public opinion, it's, I yeah. can't imagine. I've learned that um, it does me no good. Like it, it's not healthy for me. It's more painful for me if I engage those conversations. So I just don't. And I've learned that um, there are people that I have like types of people who are needing to learn certain things that I have all the room in the world for because that's not a place where I was wounded. And then there are other people that I just don't have a space for them. Somebody else will have a space for them. So I don't have to. It's not my job to educate them on the ignorance of their actions. Um, and I, I do want to say when all of this came out, I expected conservative Christians to have all of their responses. So that wasn't super wounding for me. I think the thing that was hard, like when the article came out in November was the like progressive Christian ex-evangelicals. There were two things that I heard. And one was, oh yeah, we, everybody knew that, like, I guess we should have said something. And that made me, that, that was just, I had a lot of feelings about that, right? Um, and I think that that's a problem. We know that that's a problem. Everybody knows, nobody wants to rock the boat and be the one to say anything. The second thing is, um, there were so many jokes made, and I tried to stay away from the internet and everything, but there's so many jokes made that were, dis that were dismissive about um, our experience with that and about the abuse with that. I remember this one, like I hadn't hardly looked at the internet and I pulled it up and there was um, this one guy making a joke. And I don't have bad feelings towards this person. Like I understand they were making sense of it through humor. I get it. Um, but they said, yeah, well, apparently um, he is trading tickets to a show for sexual favors. Like that's the worst deal ever. Ha, that's funny. I mean, that's actually a very funny thing. And also, it's so dismissive and doesn't articulate what actually happened because no one is trading sexual favors for tickets to a show. No one cares that much, right? It's about connection. It's about thinking that you have a relationship with this person. It's about all of those things. And so, like, the jokes, great. So you got a lot of likes and retweets and you felt like, wow, I was funny. And also, that was dismissive of the pain and, like, all of the therapy that these women had to go through to process this and get over it. So those were the things that um, were more painful to me in the victim blaming sort of thing. Like one, people didn't take it seriously. They knew it, but they didn't take it seriously. And two, like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Did he rape anyone? No. Okay. Well then. So, sorry. A lot of strong feelings about that. <laughs> no, don't be, do not apologize. Yeah, I'm, again, just going back to that that gray area and just about, to me, there, there's just so many um, fundamental, like, building blocks that were built that got us into a situation like this. Yeah. And one of the main things is not understanding and not teaching our children enthusiastic consent yes a woman's body does not belong to you because she has a ring on her finger because she's in your hotel room because 
she, her clothes are off and she's on top of you, like under no circumstance whatsoever, as hard as it is to comprehend, yep. if it's not enthusiastic, you're not going there. Like, I, I'm so saddened to realize that, you know, so many generations of men and women were not taught that concept. I didn't know yeah. the word consent until the Me Too movement. I never heard it in my life. You neither. It's so crazy. I mean, in that context, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you consent vaguely, but no, nothing about sexuality. Yeah. Um, and there, you know, I speak for myself that there, there's a lot of um, negging that guys do, too. Have you heard that terminology? Oh, yeah. I think a lot of, of us have experienced <laughs> of the, like, the pickup artist. Um, and that's a tactic. I I've heard, I've seen guys that I like, that I appreciate, that I think are good people that use negging, which anyone that doesn't know is just being like, oh, come on, are you really this lame? Are you really that uptight? I Can't take a joke. Me. What's your problem? Can't you take a joke? Oh, yeah, all of those things. So like, uh, we need to really help men understand but don't understand which are arguably a lot of men within the church structure that anything outside of enthusiastic consent is not biblical sex if you want to talk about biblical sex you're talking about what you are talking about in, at the top of this conversation which is connected that doesn't mean that you um, have to have a ring on your finger in my opinion it's more about how are you aligned with this person? Are you both in it because you want to be there enthusiastically so? I mentioned to you earlier today, um, there is a, a therapist that I follow from Nashville. Um, her name is Danny Hickman, D-A-N-I. So you should all follow her. Um, she's great. And she made this post about energetic consent. And she was talking about, especially when you've experienced trauma, you've experienced abuse, and you are in a sexual relationship, with your partner and she said there may be times when you feel like oh i don't want to have sex but then you think like oh well they do so i'm gonna go ahead and have sex with them and you're going against what your body is telling you that it wants and so energetically your body is saying no and you're just going ahead and doing it and that's it that's betrayal of your body and that's self-betrayal and that can cause you to kind of uh, you know fall go backwards like be triggered and and all of that sort of thing so the best thing to do is pause when you feel that and say oh I don't actually, I don't actually feel like having sex right now. Let me explore why that is. Maybe it's not a big deal, or maybe there's something happening that is reminding me of the past. So I'm going to say no. And when you're in a healthy relationship, you're able to have those conversations and you're able to be open about that. And especially if you've experienced trauma, you need to be with someone who can understand that and be sensitive with it and supportive of it too. So along with enthusiastic yeah. consent, I think energetic consent from ourselves recognizing that hearing that and acknowledging it is important too how should the, the church and christian communities how can they better respond moving forward to situations like this and if you don't have a perspective because it's not your responsibility <laughs> that's totally fine just wondering if you have an opinion um can I say what I would rather say and said that is related to this? Absolutely. <laughs> so I can't, I can't control the church. I can't control leaders in the church. I can't control men. I can't control anyone. I can control myself. That's it. Sometimes, not always. Um, <laughs> but for me, because obviously there has been a lot of anger about this happening and about it continuing to happening and, 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 and not just him, but other men continuing to have a platform in order to be a predator in these things, right? And so uh, about two months ago, this kind of came up again. I heard that he was going to do another gig. Someone told me, stop telling um, victims, by the way, what's going on with their abusers. They don't want to know. Like, especially when yeah, they get something. I don't even really... want to know what ex-boyfriends are doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, good. So yes, everybody, I, yes. <laughs> I had, like heard something about that and that anger rose up in me again that he was going to have the opportunity to hurt someone else who's going to have the platform to hurt someone else and it just like felt and then I like I initially felt like oh 
I have to make sure that people know what a terrible person he is so that he can't do that. And then I realized like, no, I don't have control over that. Like that's never going to happen. There are going to be a lot of people who don't believe that. So that's not something that is useful for me because that destroys me while I'm, I'm trying to help people understand that. And so I was like, what can I do to actually make a difference in a situation like that? And I realized that, especially with being raised the way we were raised, that like the most subversive thing that I could do was to help women heal and learn to love themselves well. Because when a woman has found healing and she has found self-love, she learns how to take care of herself and she learns how to fight back. And there are situations where you know, may know how to take care of yourself and fight back and things still happen. But it does cut down on the amount of situations that a woman finds herself in. Um, and so that's what I've committed to doing is to sharing my, share my healing experience and to help women heal. And I don't know that that changes the way that the church responds, but I know that it helps women um, to not be in those situations as often. So that's what I can offer. Yeah, no, that's a, it's funny that I took a moment dancing around that question because I was like, this doesn't feel like the right question to ask you. But it's funny because I, I believe you've inadvertently answered the question after all, which is essentially stop telling women their value is based upon their sexual history. Stop yep. telling us that our bodies are a weapon of our own destruction. Stop telling us that we're responsible for how men respond to our bodies. Stop telling men they're not capable of handling themselves. Like, there are so many things in what you just said yeah. The church could actually listen to this conversation, take that up and be like, okay, what are we doing now? We're teaching our women and men true self-value. Mm -hmm. We're going to stop disembodying them from their own hearts, from their own intellect, from their own instincts. Yep. And we're going to allow them to reside in embodiment and yes. pleasure. And that's another thing too, like pleasure is so vilified in church circles. So. I've said this a million times, God made the clitoris that serves yes. no other purpose but for pleasure. Yes. So the fact that men in church are not told about how important our pleasure must be to God, if he made that on us, then, you know, that's another thing. It's like, if there's no enthusiastic consent, if there's no pleasure for the woman or for your partner, then you are not having biblical sex you're not honoring your body, you're not honoring the body of your partner. Yeah. And one of my favorite sex educators, very secular, gay, Dan Savage, always says when someone comes in your bedroom or whatever, wherever you are, they leave better than you found them. You don't yes. leave them in disarray, you don't leave them in confusion, and you don't yes. leave them traumatized and abused. They leave being like, dang, what a great experience that was with that person. Yeah. And these, these are the things like, like I said, you inadvertently to me answered the question. If churches yeah. begin teaching this, instead of quote, purity, we would be so much better off. I agree. In my opinion. I think it, when you teach that, everything else follows. Exactly, yeah. exactly, and it's natural. And the last thing I'll say about that too is I'm always accused of like, oh, if you open the floodgates and tell people, women especially, that they're allowed to welcome pleasure, or that you're allowed to get in your body and figure out what sexual situations are okay and not okay, ring, no ring, um, then you run the risk of them just become, going crazy and having sex with everybody and having no self-respect. It is the exact opposite. As soon as I yes. practice embodiment, as soon as I let go of the black and white rules, I have never respected my body more and demanded yes. more respect from others towards my body. Yes. And that's when you, as you heal that, that's when you begin to recognize that you're longing for connection and you're longing for communion. And then you can find the right kind of situation for you. And it looks different for a lot of people, but to bring that to you. And if that isn't one of the most sacred and holy things, I don't know what is, you know? Well, yeah, that's a spiritual truth that all Christians should and, and need to get behind as well. That is true. It's, it's sacred. And it's not sacred because you wore a white dress and you have a ring. It's sacred because the act is communal. The act is an exchange of 
energy, ideally of love, even yeah. if it's just for a night. I'm sorry, that's a controversial thing to say, but it's it's true. Like it is true. Need to be honored, no matter how long that connection lasts. Yeah. Sexuality is precious, and yes. it can either be the lightest, purest, most beautiful thing happening, or the darkest, most separating, yes. divine thing. It Absolutely. Is powerful. Yeah. Absolutely. And we need to be careful with what we're telling everybody, how they're using it. Yeah, for sure. Any final thoughts? I'm, I just want to thank you again so much before we go and um, say I'm so honored by this conversation. And mm. a part of the reason I re reached out to the guy first um, was because I didn't want to re-traumatize the alleged victims. and. Um, you know, and dredge up these things again. So I really appreciate that you put up this post where you were healing centered and that yeah. gave me more confidence to approach you. Yeah. And I'm just really grateful for all of the work that you've done that's really apparent and, and putting yourself out there because I am confident this will heal other people that are listening. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me and for sharing your platform with this. I appreciate it. And just to anyone who is watching who, um, is a survivor of abuse of trauma i just want to tell you that um if it feels like you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel i've been there before and um i can tell you that there is light even if you can't see it and i would just ask that you commit to your own healing and commit to loving yourself and caring for yourself even if that doesn't feel possible right now and eventually you'll see that light and it'll be worth it so yeah and love you too. I do have yes. any love to you. So. <laughs> yes, love. Love is the ultimate healing. It's beautiful. Yeah. So. Okay, um, okay, everybody go follow Melissa too um, and support her. She's an incredible writer. Go read her writing on her post. It's really beautiful. I think you'll find it really healing too for those of us who were taught we can't experience our emotions or allow emotions a lot of your posts are about hi you have yeah. emotions let's talk about it so that's good i'm learning here. yeah yes. um yeah and that's it okay. we love you guys so much yes